Hey, yo, what's up, y'all? This is King DMC and the place to be. And you know I know a lot about places to be. And the only place for you to ever be is right here listening to Appetite for Distortion with the one and only Brando. The only place to know, the only place to go, and this is the place to be. Appetite for Distortion. Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 330. My name is Brando. Welcome, Mr. Daryl McDaniels. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Brando. I love the title of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, appetite. It's actually you gave me a, the perfect segue because some see appetite for distortion, and yes, the obvious. It's a Guns and Roses themed podcast, but that's just the hook. You know, everyone right. and their mother has a podcast. What's mine? But there's a for those who listen over the course of these 330. There, yeah. there are underlying themes of mental health. Uh, of addiction, of standing right. up for yourself, struggle, and that ties into Guns N' Roses and rock and roll, what I'm about. But I'm honest about my story, too. So in, in addition to just thanking you for your time, first of all, because I know you're a busy guy. and uh, Thank you. And we both survived being New Yorkers. We both survived the storm last week. And that's why we didn't connect yes. earlier. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yep. You're, you're doing okay? You know, uh, yeah, yeah. There, there's always some obstacles and some adversities, but we're living proof, me and you, that you can beat and defeat whatever it is that you're struggling with. Yes. So I, I need to thank you not just for your time, for your music, but for you speaking out and almost in a, in a time where not everyone was talking about mental health. Now it's it's a different world. You put on commercials. There's apps for it. You know it's it's in right. your face. But you know in your autobiography, and then in the in your book, uh, one of your books, and we'll get to your your new children's book. Sorry, to, I guess we got to start off dark, but that's the way it is. Uh, right. Your book that came out in 2017, uh, Ten Ways Not to Commit Suicide. Right. Right. So my my father committed suicide in 2013. Oh, wow. Sorry to hear that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And I dealt, you know, uh, I'm still in therapy. Um, lived most of my 20s not wanting to be here. Here I am, 38, going to get married mm-hmm. in a few months, talking to Daryl McDaniels. So, I mean. Yes. It's, I'm glad that you're still here. Thank you. For sure. And glad that you're still here. And likewise. But, um, you know, you know, the powerful thing about it, for me, I discovered that, um, I found that I'm more powerful when I talk about the bad things that I've been through because I was always powerful talking about the good things. Hey, St. John's University, Christmas time in Hollis, Queens, son of Byford, brother of Al, banners my mother, runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's, those burgers are Ronald's. You know, I've always talked about family and education and my sneakers and my glasses and all of that which was very inspirational, motivational, and powerful. 
which also allowed people to see the potential and greatness in themselves. But yo, Brando, I realized I was even more and more powerful when I got out of rehab and therapy and I'd be walking down the block and people come to me on this celebrity level. Yo, DMC, King of Rock, Mr. Walk This Way, Adidas, man. You know, why you wasn't on Run's house? There's something going on between you and Run, because Run was on TV for 10 years with his TV show, Run's House. And these people was thinking every every season, they're waiting for DMC to show up so he never shows up. So they thinking it was a rift between us. I said, no, no, first of all, the reason why me and Run ain't doing stuff together is because Jay's gone which was another shocking incident. But then they say, DMC, where you been at? What's up with you? And I've been, well, I was an alcoholic, suicide, a metaphysical wreck who was about to jump off a building that just found out that he was adopted at age 35. I just got out of rehab and therapy. And the whole celebrity special thing would leave. And 100% of the time, two things would happen those people would look around like the CIA was there and they would go D and they would say these words, Brando. I've never told anybody this, but me too. And if they didn't say that, they would go D. They'd look around. I've never told anybody this, but my mother, my father, my sister, my wife, my daughter, my brother. If the people themselves wasn't going through something that they never told nobody about, they knew somebody close to them or a friend who was going through something. And then I realized that uh, me being one of the greatest rappers ever, whether you believe it or not, two things happened that I realized. Remove guilt and shame, you remove the pain. But in order to do that, if you don't talk, if you don't talk about how you feel, whether good or bad, you never heal. Me being honest about my situation, even though it was bad, had the same impact and inspiration and motivational life-changing abilities that I had when I talked about, you know, be cool, go to school, St. John's, Christmas time, and Alice Queens. So it was a revelation for me that allowed me to even heal more. Wow. it's And it was at a time it, when you're talking about that. You're right, because I, I do the same thing here. I will get messages all the time privately. Uh, forgive yep. me, one of my listeners, he told me, um, Connie, he was just a year sober. He got a wow. new job. He has a new kid on the way. And it's just like, yeah. And, and sometimes I feel almost like, should I be talking about this? Because I maybe I'm not on the level. I'm not on the level of a Daryl McDaniels. Who cares about my story? But I found out that people do. And when people yes. and someone like you and you are one of the people that inspired me. It's like it's OK to do it because right. I'm afraid, even though yep. nobody yep. might. Yep. Yep. You know, it's yeah, hundred percent. So it's um, but see, yeah. all of our stories are important. That's why I spoke up. You gotta understand that so when I speak up, the DMC special celebrity leaves. Now I'm just a person. Right. It's almost like people couldn't believe I was a person. I know. <laughs> they only see the mighty king of rock. And even when I was going through stuff, people in my circle, outside of my wife and son, outside of my manager, who was my friend, we grew up together. And my publicist, Tracy Miller, those people never told me, D, how can you feel like this? You're, you know, they, they look at lifestyles that are rich mm. and famous and celebrity and money and, and notoriety as the thing that should make you happy. If you're not happy with who and what's going on with your life, none of this other stuff means anything. But people think that I was so powerful because I'm so mighty on the microphone 
They were thinking there's no way that DMC, the mighty king of rock and his Adidas, walking this way with Aerosmith could be affected by the things that regular people are affected by. Dude, I'm a regular dude. Man, That's the bottom I line. And I was um I was courageous enough to admit that. You're right. And that was something that right? I, it took me so long to realize that I kept thinking I spoke to Dave Navarro about this recently. He put on a, an event for above ground about for mental health and, and addiction. Yep. And he does a lot. He does a lot. He, yep. he, he does. And I'd always thought like once I got to this level, you know, once I got a full time job in radio or once I got, yep. you know, a girlfriend getting married, all this stuff would go yep. away. And even though I'm yep. in a good place now, I'm not going to stop going to therapy. I still take my medication every day because right. I, it's you have to it's a it's there's not a quick fix to it. It's a, no, it's a journey. It is a journey, and then it's a journey. You would look at people, and that's what bothers me. And, and I don't know if you mm-hmm. see where, you know, if you if you see whether it's somebody in the world of rock or hip hop or you know, Demi Lovato coming out and talking about yes. their struggles. Oh, they're right. they're so rich, they're so famous, they're so beautiful. What are the problems do they have? And yes. I, now I get I get offended by that. Like you have no idea. You have no yes. idea. And that's what it sounds like with you. Nobody had any idea what you were going through. Right. At all, at all. And, and, and another thing is we have feelings and emotions. I know. What do you think we are? You know what I'm saying? Or who do you, the person you think I am is not who I am. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's almost like they take away your permission to be normal. Yeah. Or to be Daryl, like DMC, there's no DMC if there's no Daryl. You know what I'm saying? There's there's no Tom Brady, the seven-time champion, if there's no Tom. At the end of the day, my therapist told me, yo, you eat and sleep like everybody else, right? Because mm. I'm looking for ways to say that I'm not normal and I'm different. No. And when I say to little kids now, your situation doesn't define who you are. You do. But we all got situations. And that's what's hard for people to believe. They think, oh, you're an actor, you're, you're a journalist, you're, you know, a, you're a musician. You're, you know, they think celebrities don't feel and don't go through emotion. I get hungry like everybody else. I get sleepy like everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of the things that we go through are things that people look as weakness. You can't be vulnerable. You can't be afraid. You can't have anxiety. You can't be scared. You can't have substance abuse or problems. Like, what are you trying to say? I'm not alive? If you are living, you're going to go through everything that living beings go through. But it's almost like it's not cool to be weak or have issues. And if you understand something, a lot of unhealthy behavior is celebrated in our communities. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, rock, hip hop, whatever it is. There's always the guy in the neighborhood, you know, okay, maybe it's cool to have three three cans of beer. But we celebrate, yo, he could drink 10 six-packs. <laughs> instead of saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's something wrong with him for drinking that much. Yeah. You know, the, the, the violence, self-abuse, abuse of others, just unhealthy behaviors is celebrated in our communities across the board. The guy that can sniff the most coke, the guy that can drink the most alcohol. There's something on See, now I'm at a point where I realize, no, it's okay to have a I, I, I I've been sober 15 years. I can't drink because I can't have one. 
But I'm not mad. I'm kind of jealous that the guy that could just have two drinks and call it a day. But I can't. Yeah. But when I was drinking 20 drinks a day, people, nobody told me there was something wrong with it. And I would never be able to be, I, would, I wasn't able to see if anything was wrong because I'm so busy trying to impress them with how much I drink, not knowing that there's a reason why I'm doing all of that. We're an amazing species, aren't we? It's, it's, we, we are. And, and, and the beautiful thing about it, our emotions are given to us to express our emotions. Hmm. So one of the gifts that I had, which I think allowed me to survive and make it through all of this, is just my desire to express myself. Um, when I was in therapy, a lot of the things that um, kept me grounded until things got out of hand my therapist said I was doing in my music. A lot of the things that I, I defined myself was some of the things that made me successful. I, I I was always defining myself as I am. I am DMC in the place to be. I'm the king of rock. I'm the son of Bifred. I'm the devastating Mike controller. I am this, and I put all of this good stuff. My release in therapy came when you express your truth. Here's another great rhyme by the greatest rapper ever, whether you believe it or not. At first, I said, if you remove guilt and shame, you remove the pain. Don't feel guilty about your sex addiction. Don't feel guilty about your alcohol addiction. Don't feel guilty about your anorexia, your anxiety, and all of your fear and stuff like that. If you, I can't tell you not to be hungry when you're hungry. Yeah. I can't tell you not to be cold. So it's all about feelings. But here's what I discovered for me and everybody else. If you don't admit how you feel, whether good or bad, you never heal. We Stigma exists because, like I said, those people that didn't have nothing wrong with them, they told me this, and this is what hurt. Brando, they said, I've never told anyone this, but my wife. I've never, but, so you mean to tell me, you've been going to work for the last three years, ashamed to tell me or somebody that your, your your wife or your cousin or your daughter or son was suffering because they're worried about what those people will think about them. I know. Not worrying about getting that person help. I can understand when they say, I've never told anybody this, but I'm me too, because you was ashamed. But when I tell you I'm like you, now you got to go do what I do. It's a little easier. But some people don't get help because the healthy people around them are ashamed to even mention that their daughter, son, or mother, wife is, is at home going to something. They're so worried about how people think of them. I, so yeah. when, I, when I would say I'm the king of rock, with that same pride and attitude, I will say I'm an alcoholic. It's I a, am yeah. OCD. Hmm. And that's the heal. When you admit how you feel, whether good or bad, is when you heal. And that's what you're, and you're helping me again with this conversation right now, because that's what I do. You know, mm -hmm. after my, my dad took his life and my mom is telling me, like, just tell the kids I had a heart attack. You know, what are we going to tell people? And it's, it's weird. Those few years yeah, after, see that? even now when people ask you, like, am I ashamed to even say it? And I, I can't, I can't, this is what happened. And then like, oh, you, you know have what? to, then me too. My cousin did, or, you know, I found out my tattoo artist. I couldn't believe it. After like going to him for like a year or so, I found out his dad right. also. When I opened up to him, he told me, he's like, my dad did that also. So it's See? like, it's, it's, it's you, amazing. You, you know how powerful that is? Because yeah. it was crazy. I was depressed. I was alcoholic. I was depressed. Had a suicidal thought. So then I hear this song by Sarah McLaughlin. I hear the Angels song by Sarah McLaughlin. 
And it was just something in that song that I can relate to. And this was very powerful. So for one year in the midst of my depression, all I did was listen to Sarah McLaughlin Angel song. <laughs> my wife went out and brought the soundtrack to the movie City of Angels with uh, Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan, which was on that. She got me that for Christmas. So I listened to that song for one whole year. Then my publicist manager sends me to Pop Davis Grammy party in L.A., that everybody wants to go to. I cared nothing about that. I cursed everybody out. I'm not going, but they made me go because my manager sold his soul to the devil to get two tickets to Cloud Dark. I said, since you're about to go to hell, I got to come on you. But long story short, I go to the show and I get to meet Sarah McLaughlin. And I get to tell her, Miss McLaughlin, I'm in the worst place of my life, but every day I listen to the song. The name of the song is Angel. Your voice is like an angel. People say you're an angel, but you're not an angel to me. You're God. So I just give her this crazy rant. And she says, thank you for telling me that, Daryl. That's what music is supposed to do. So three years go by. I find out that I'm adopted. I call her back up to do a remake of Ari Chapin's Cats in the Cradle because mm. my life was the opposite. My mother and father cared about me. So... I wanted to do a, a, I wanted to flip Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle and have Sarah McLaughlin sing the chorus. What blew my mind is I fly out to Vancouver to record at our own studio. And then after recording, now you got to understand, I met her after listening to her song for a year. She tells me, thank you for doing it, Daryl. That's what music is supposed to do. Three years go by, I find out that I'm adopted. Now I'm back with her, making the record with her to do what her song did for me, for other people going through what I'm going through. You know, the adopted kids that feel I'm not normal. What does this all mean? You know, you're all right, because I'm there with you. At the end of the recording session, Brando, she says, Daryl, there's something I need to tell you. And I go, what? She says, I was adopted too, and I did not know that. Hmm. So you can see by speaking up and saying, um, I'm recording with, um, I'm doing records with um, 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 Tim Armstrong from Rancid. I'm recording with Rob Rob Dukes from um, a, um, um, Exodus. I'm, um, I'm at an event um, for the grand opening of, um, for the grand opening of Planet Hollywood in Vegas. And people hear about my story. So I'm sitting there with Tim Armstrong. He comes out, he's looking at me funny by the second session. And he looks at me and says, D, I just found out you was in sober recovery. He goes, me too. So now instead of just talking about punk rock and hip hop, we talked about recovery. Yeah. We had that in conference. Same thing with Rob Dukes. I go to the Planet Hollywood Open and Tom Arnold, you know, who was married to Rosa, comes running at me, crying, hugging me. DMC, I'm adopted too. And I was so ashamed to speak about it, this and that. So we, Brando, we, our stories everybody's story is important and everybody's story can help change the world and save a life right so on my label the dmc king of rock was just a setup for what i was really put here to do hmm. and which is why i'm so glad that you put out this children's book Daryl's dream because <laughs> so much is rooted in childhood and the way you're you're, you're yes. taught about behaviors and you know, mm -hmm. kids are mean. They don't know much better. So what? I guess what inspired you? And can you tell us about Daryl's dream? Because uh, as soon as I have yeah. a kid, you know, this will be one of the first books I get him or her. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> basically it came about, um, it wasn't in the plans. But for since, since I got in Run DMC, since Run DMC was formed, 
the world know for the last, what, 38 years, 37, eight years, y'all know Daryl McDaniels from high school. I graduate from high school. I get to St. John's University. I make a, a demo record run. We get a record deal, call Jam Master JN, and I wind up walking this way with Aerosmith in my Adidas with Front and Jay to tell the world how tricky this world could be, right? So y'all know all know me from high school to adulthood, right? If you go back to my first single before the albums, I rap on DMC in the place to be. I go to St. John's University since kindergarten. I acquired the knowledge. After 12th grade, I went straight to college. So what had happened was um, I started going into high schools and speaking to the students, right? You know about, hey, I'm Darryl McDaniels, just like I speak to you, I'm Darryl McDaniels, Hollis, St. John's University, education, walked this way, my Adidas, everything. I would speak to the high school kids and the attitudes would change. How they look at school and discipline and all the rules and the regulations, you know, education. You, you're never gonna use this algebra question in your life, but the ability to solve problems. So these educators was like, yo, their attitudes about um, authority, homework, and their place in society has changed. So those educators was like, you need to take this message into the middle schools. So the same way I spoke in the high schools, I went to the middle schools. Same thing. Kids are acting differently. Parents would call home and say, did DMC come to the school to speak to the kids? And the principal would be like, oh, yeah. What the hell did he tell my son or daughter? She's coming home, doing her homework. Like, it was, it was a profound change in the attitude and, you know, kids being more respectful, mm -hmm. stop using profanity, stop teasing and bullying each other. So from the middle schools, the educators was like, Daryl, you got to take this to the elementary schools. So I went into the elementary schools, Brando, and I'm speaking to kindergarten to like sixth grade, right? Now, here's what's powerful. When I speak at the high schools, you know, I inspire them, you know, motivate. Not all of them, but some of them do. Um, the middle school is the same thing. And one time I was in Germany and I'm working out in the gym and this guy comes over to me in Germany. Yo, you need to speak to my daughter. She needs to. And I'm like, huh, what? What the hell? Please speak to my daughter. Hello, Mr. McDaniels. You came to my high school in New Jersey and spoke to me five, five years ago. I am now a CEO, this and that. So I see it's paying off. Same thing. Um, I had a guy recently um, send me a message. Yo, D, I was messing up in middle school. I didn't care about education, but after hearing you speak, I turned my grades around. Now I made it to college. But, so when I would speak to these kids, when I open up for conversation, just because they're a little older, the kids in the middle schools and the high schools, in addition to personal questions, it's more of, do you know Cardi B? Do you know Eminem? Do you know Taylor Swift? You know, the typical, you know Jay-Z and Beyonce. But with the kindergarten to sixth grade, when I talk about everything, adoption, depression, being a foster kid, wow. getting teased, bullied, and picked on. You know, I had the times where my mother made me come in the house late and the other friends got to do stuff. I get this from kindergarten to sixth graders. Excuse me, Mr. DMC, how did you feel when you got teased, bullied, and picked on? Hmm. How did you feel when your mother and father said you couldn't go stay up late? How did you feel when you found out you was adopted? How did you feel being a foster kid? These little kids have everything we have in adults. And you just said it, Randall. We don't address those things when we're younger. Yes. So the kids have anxiety. 
The kids are confused. The kids are afraid. The kids are scared. The kids have doubts and all of that. I was like, how can I talk to these kids in a way that I talk to my generation and those above me and even a little younger than me with my music? So the teachers that I was speaking at the um, elementary school said, Mr. McDaniels, you have to do a children's book. And at first I said, no. But then they said, the way you touch these kids in person, you can reach so many more kids the same way with the book. Mm -hmm. So I just thought of putting young DMC, the Daryl DMC that their mothers, fathers, grandfathers, and grandmothers know about, put him in third grade so they can see this kid going to exactly what they're going to in real time in their environment. Because, Brandon, our environments is our family, our home, and our work environments. Their environments is the same like us, except it's their family, their home, their backyard, their neighborhood, and their classroom and schoolyard. Yeah. So we need to talk to them about self-esteem and self-doubt in the book. Daryl's not sure about his glasses. Oh, I don't think my glasses is cool. But those very same glasses became to be the very thing that I rhymed about. These for doing it all of the time. <laughs> it's for the rhymes that are all mine. See, it's for cool, cool asking me. And Rum would ask me, why you wear those glasses? And I would say, so I can see. So I'm just trying to show the kids two things. You're okay just the way you are. Your glasses, your freckles, your red hair, your height, your weight, whatever. And you can do and be anything that you want to be. That was the whole purpose of creating the book. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I can keep talking about this, because I, but I know I, I don't have you here for too much longer. You see what I mean? At the beginning of the podcast, yeah, it's Appetite for Distortion, but so much of it is about mental health and... Yes. I related. This is what I say about Axel Rose and, and Duff McKagan, how he's turned his life around and Slash. So I got a song with Duff. Yes, you do. I wanted to talk yes, to you about the, that. How yeah, did, the, Black, the Black Betty song. How did that come together? It was you, uh, Duff, and Mick Mars, right, from Motley Crue? Yeah, me, Duff, Mick Mars, Sebastian Bach, and Travis Barker. All together on this remake of Ram Jam's um, 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 Black Betty song. It just came about, at first it was a song I sampled, and the producer got a big shout out to Sonics, one of the best producers in the game. He was he was hip hop and R and B guy, but you know, good most producers know all musics. So he's in the metal and he knows rock and stuff like that. He said, D, I was at the Giants game, and you know, at sports events they play these records and in interludes and timeouts. So if you had hockey, basketball, or football, or even soccer, whatever. They'll throw on some Van Halen. They'll throw on Rage Against the Machine. They'll throw on Black Sabbath. They'll throw on some Beatles. They'll throw on some Led Zeppelin. But they always throw Run DMC up in the mix. Even Tricky will walk this way. So he's hearing all of these songs, plus Run DMC, and then the Black Betty Ram Jam song came on. And he said the crowd was rocking out to it. So he comes over, yo, D, let's, let's, let's do this Black Betty, you know, um, remix. So we did it, and I rapped on it, boom, bang. When we finished, he was like, yo, this is crazy. We got to take it to the next level. We got to get real live musicians on it. We got to get a, 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 a current rock voice on it to do, you know, because we sampled it. Mm -hmm. So long story short, um, I went to a, a, I was doing an event with MTV. I'm running this Sebastian Bach. And he comes over and shows me love and I'm showing him love about Skid Row. And he's like, yeah, dude, I know you're a metal guy. You guys change stuff with rock box and king of rock, dude. And when y'all did that walk this way, dude, yo, you know, we just having a good time. And I tell him, yo, I redid Black Belt before I even could finish. I'll do it. <laughs> so I got Sebastian to sing all the vocals over. 
And then the next thing, I went to a birthday party. I ran into Travis Barker. The same thing. He wanted to come over and tell me how Rock Rock changed his life. And this is Travis Barker. He's telling me this, and I'm looking at him in awe. And then at the end of it, he just goes, D, I love you so much. If there's ever anything you need me to do, <laughs> I go, oh, by the way, I need a drummer to play. So he's done. I get Travis Barker. Then the next thing that happened, I went to a meeting for some cologne because this lady wanted to do a DMC cologne. And during the meeting, in the middle of the meeting, Big Mars calls in. So I'm, I'm like, put him on a speakerphone. You know me, I'm a fan. Put him on a speakerphone. She says, hey, Mick, I'm here with DMC. I'll call you back. He goes, DMC, DMC, man, I love them guys. And she says, well, tell him yourself. He's right there. So me and Mark, me and Mick, we start talking about our, our hats. Because you know Mick always wears a hat. Yeah, He's like, man, I love your hats. And so we going on about hats. And at the end of that, he said, man, I would love to do something with you. Brando, I'm like, how do you rap? By the way, wow. Mick, I have this record. So I'm like, yo, I'll bring you to New York. He says, no. You get on a plane. You come to L.A. I'm going to make Nicky six, six give us his studio. We'll do it there. So I go to L.A. Nicky Six is at the door, gives us the keys to his old studio. All he says was, don't make a mess and clean up <laughs> after you finish. So that was um, over the last couple of years. And then just recently, because, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses went on tour and, um, Sebastian was like, yeah, I'm going to reach out to Duff. I'm going to reach out to Duff. So finally, they had the tour ended. And then the pandemic, so we knew Duff was around. We called up Duff, and he was like, yo, Duff, we got the song. Here's who's on it so far, Black Betty's Ram Jam. And Duff goes like this. He says, wow, this sounds interesting. Send it to me. So we MP3 him where we at right now. Two minutes later, send it over. I'm doing this. I'm on it. So that's how it came about basically organically to where, you know, this is Duff McKagan. This is Travis Barker. It was one of those things where, remember when you was little, Brando, and you just went over your friend's house, and you and your friend playing, and then the other friend comes over and says, ooh, ooh, I want to play too. <laughs> Can I play? That's how this song came about. So I'm trying to drop that on May 31st on my birthday. Oh, that's that's awesome. It's all these random things, yeah. like Mick Mars on a, a, a cologne yeah, yeah. speakerphone. We're we talking about hats and stuff like that. Oh. And, and, you know, and going back to the book, the book was definitely a random thing because it was something that I was already doing. Mm -hmm. right. But I, I, I had never did something directly for a younger generation. So I basically, uh, the two teachers that helped me write the book, um, Shawnee and Johnny Warfield, plus my man, Alan Padilla, you know, Adam, he had a little five-year-old girl at the time, and the two teachers are in a classroom with the kids every day. So my thing was just to make it uh, semi-autobiographical, where it's Daryl, but instead of a rap concert, he just want to recite his poetry at the um, talent contest. And he has all of these doubts and all this unsurety about him, and my glass is cool, and... You know, I don't want to give everything away about the book, but sure. the, the message was these our children and these children have everything necessary for them to succeed. But it starts with us believing in them yeah. so that they can believe in themselves. You know what I'm saying? Any chance? I do. Um, I, I wish I had that book as a kid, honestly. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what everybody said. I, I got all the grown-ups saying, yo, D, this book is so inspirational. I'm going to read it every day before I go to work. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm the kind of guy, 38, I still like watching cartoons. So that just leads For me. sure. So I, would you foresee this becoming a, a cartoon, like expanding? Oh, that's so funny. This book is the first book in a series of books 
right. to deal with issues that our children go through. And we're already in talks of developing the animated series. Awesome. We definitely got to bring it to life. Awesome. Definitely got to bring it to life. I can't wait to see, uh, see that. Um, and, and before Thank you, you, you run, because uh, we do like a six degrees of GNR bacon, that's what I call it. And you mentioned uh, Duff before. But yeah. I, I got a lot of questions. I, I, I can't uh, get to them all, of course. Uh, this is from Ryan on Twitter. So okay. he wants to know, because Bumblefoot was a producer of yours on the Fragile Mortals record, right? Yes, so yes. You, Bumblefoot's if, amazing. If you could talk about that, what Bumblefoot brought as a, a producer to the project. Bumblefoot is a genius. I'm talking about he has a huge understanding of music and sound and technique and arrangement and um um production. You know, it's it's, it's the, people tend to look at Bumblefoot. He's a great guitar player, but when he puts the guitar down, he can talk about number one the history. Like a, being around Bumblefoot, I get an education and the things that I want to know about things I thought I knew about. But also, as a producer, everything that I thought was mediocre about my attempts to participate in, you know, I've done Rockbox, King of Rock, Walk This Way. But Bumblefit allows me to find things about myself that I didn't know could possibly exist when it comes to arranging and composing with an actual band. You know, me sampling and just rhyming over rock drums, that's easy. But um, working with Bumblefoot, I learned more about how to create a song. I don't have to rhyme 16 long bars. I could do eight here. Sometimes all you need is four. Four bars can have more more, more um, emphasis and impact as having 16 long rap bars. So Bumblefoot, um, as a producer, is an educator, a coach, a director, and a facilitator. Very cool. And a New York guy like us. So that's And a New York guy, a homegrown New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, I'm, not, I'm here. Very, very humble. I'm not. In I a, see it. I see it. I'm not in Hollis, yeah. Queens, but I'm in Woodside, Queens. So I see it. That's right down the block. Queens in the house, baby. Right on. Well, Daryl, th- sure. thank you so much for your time. I can keep going. Hopefully, we get to do this again. Um, yes, we will. I'll, I'll come back on when we drop this song. I appreciate it. May 31st, in my birthday, we'll talk about Black Betty. It's killer. Awesome. I can't wait. Thank you again. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. When will you see the next one? Well, the words of Axl Rose concerning Chinese democracy. You'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.